Hello, everyone. I've got a question for you. What if society expected and knew it was possible for both men and women to take responsibility for their contraception choices? Just imagine men as well as women taking an active and responsible place in their family planning decisions. Hello, everyone. My name is Pamela Brewer, and I'm welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. And today's guest is here to shed some light on some of the things that are happening in the world of male contraception. I'm very pleased to introduce to you Dr. Stephanie Page. She is a board-certified physician uh, at Harborview in Seattle, Washington. She is the University of Washington's Robert B. McMillan Endowed Professor. She's got so many titles. We're going to stop right here. (laughs) Dr. Stephanie Page, welcome, and thank you for being here with us on Mind Talk. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Now, Dr. Page, you are doing work in the area of male contraception, and something called the Population Council is a part of your connection. Tell us about that. What is the Population Council? So the Population Council is a large nonprofit that's based in New York who's really been actively involved in all kinds of efforts to uh, accelerate family planning globally. We have done this project with them. They actually were responsible for developing the product that we're testing and we'll talk about today. Uh, And then ourselves at the University of Washington School of Medicine and our partners at LA Biomed, as well as funding from the NIH, has really accelerated this into human trials. And so uh, the exciting uh, sort of turning point right now is that we're actually testing a contraceptive gel in men and actually in couples for use as a contraceptive. So that's how the Population Council is involved, and we couldn't really be doing this work without them. Well, let me ask you about the issue of male contraception just sort of generically. We've all gotten used to relying on women to take care of these issues. Why do we want to bother men with this? Well, as you mentioned in the intro, Pamela, you know, 40% and actually even higher numbers than that in some parts of the world of pregnancies are unplanned, and that's a pretty staggering number, and a number that hasn't really changed in about the last 20 years, despite the introduction of a lot of different contraceptive options for women. You know, we still struggle globally and actually in this country to make contraception available to women, so that's an important issue. But Really, I feel like if we're going to make a huge impact on that 40% number, we need some kind of game changer. There's lots of evidence that men are interested in contraception, and in fact, they already do about 18% of contraception in this country between vasectomy and condoms. But if I think if we can move that number forward, we actually might make an impact on this incredible public health problem of unplanned pregnancy. When you say that there are men who are certainly not opposed, I mean, the and it sounds like it's a myth, but the myth is that men don't want to be bothered. They don't want to deal with pills or shots or, you know, IUD. They don't want to deal with any of that stuff. So why is this particular form of contraception, which you're describing as a gel, why this? Are they okay with this? Well, I think one of the, I think it really is a myth because we don't have options for men. You know, the only choices men have are irreversible vasectomy, which is also a surgical procedure, uh, and condoms, which are incredibly important for sexual health, but are frankly pretty crummy contraceptives and not that fun to use, let's face it. So, you know, men don't have this menu of options. They don't have a choice of pills or shots or and what have you. And so I think, you know, the way I think about it and what the survey data would show is that uh, 
men are very open to these things. It's just that they don't really haven't really been given the chance to participate. So um, this particular product is a self-administered gel uh, that the man would put on every day. And so uh, I, I understand your um, skepticism, but I think really we haven't uh, haven't actually tested that possibility. Uh, and I think there's a lot of evidence that men are very interested when we do multinational surveys, for example. Well, you know, as as, as I'm thinking about um, what you're saying, it, it seems to me that um, it, in a lot of ways it has not been the good news that men have to rely on a woman to uh, to respond to whatever their own personal um uh, fertility thoughts or issues are. So the fact that it actually even potentially evens the playing ground is a good one. And of course, there are all kinds of positives and negatives, but um, it does make, it does give men clearly the options that, as you suggest, many men have really wanted and look forward to if it bears fruit. That's absolutely right. You know, we do, we've done quite a few studies of different methods of contraception. And, you know, it's a very skewed audience when you're asking people that have volunteered to participate in a a clinical trial. But nonetheless, you know, 80 to 90 percent of participants in our trials and trials that other groups have done say if the product that they've tested was on the market, they would use it. So, you know, there's also all kinds of users. There's single men, but there's many men who are in committed couples Uh, and the woman, for a variety of reasons, can't use contraception due to side effects, due to other medical conditions, and so forth. And so, really, this allows for sharing of the burden of contraception in in couples, and uh, really, in that way, can be incredibly helpful for women and continue to empower them to control their fertility. Really important for women to be able to do that. I think about um, women who obviously for um, a lifetime have been taught that uh, contraception is really their issue. How they would or what issues you have come up against, how they would feel comfortable with sort of handing, sharing the issue of contraception with their partner. Are they going to still want to take the pill just to be sure? Or, I mean, what are your thoughts? What are your findings, if any? Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, again, there's a whole sort of uh, potpourri of users of contraception. There are single women who certainly, you know, would want to control their own fertility and may not want to rely on maybe they're having more than one partner or whatever, uh, may not be in that sort of trusting relationship. They might, in that setting, the couple might want to use two methods, and that's something that has been really shown to reduce unplanned pregnancy. In other situations, though, committed couples, for example, uh, it could be that the man uses a pill for a couple years, then the woman uses a pill, then they decide to have a child, then the woman has an IUD. I mean, you can see that by having options, it really allows for, for sharing. I think it is important to point out that, you know, this, in this particular product we'll talk about today is a once-a-day gel that men put on, but there's all kinds of other uh, products that are in development. So if men had a bunch of choices, you know, an, an injection every three months, uh, something that lasted longer, something that they do every day, you know, that in the context of a couple, they can decide together what everybody's most comfortable with and what everybody feels like they can rely upon. So, 
So again, it's really about giving people in different situations different choices. Um, and I think the other thing that's really important to, important to point out is the methods that we're developing and many people in the field are interested in developing are reversible. So that's really important. So the man would use these methods and then once he stops using them, then he, uh, then his sperm concentration comes back and he's fertile again. So again, different kinds of users will want different kinds of products and women will be more comfortable with some than the other in the context of a relationship. So it really sounds like the potential is enormous and opening up a tremendous uh, sort of uh, menu of options for people married, single, committed, not committed, and safe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really the goal here. Um, This is not about taking away contraception for women in any way, shape, or form. This is about trying to increase uptake and ensure that every every pregnancy is a planned pregnancy, every child is a wanted child. I mean, it's the same goal that we've had for women for the last 60 years. Dr. Page, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will continue this conversation about male contraception. Folks, don't go away. I'm Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. Dr. Page, I I note that the first trials are in Los Angeles, Seattle, uh, and Kansas in the United States, but then you will also test in other areas. What are some of those other areas? So the the trial that we've just uh, initiated is going to be conducted here in the United States at those three sites uh, and then six other sites. So one in Nairobi, Kenya, one in Edinburgh, Manchester, England, um, Sweden, and Bologna. And, oh, and Chile, sorry. So Chile, Italy, Sweden, the U.K., and Kenya. And and do you find that the excitement is muted or great in those areas outside of the United States? So we're just getting started with this trial. There's quite a bit of experience in Europe with male hormonal contraceptive trials, um, and there's been lots of interest. You know, it's it's the the interest in being part of a clinical trial is is different than the potential interest for using a product that's been approved. Um, but there's actually been a number of studies in as many as, um, you know, hundreds of couples of these sorts of products, and uh, enrollment has not been a, a big concern. Uh, some of the earlier studies were done in China. Those were very, very large studies sponsored by the WHO. Um, but the more recent work has all been done in Europe, really. And and so the interest, it sounds like, is, is great, if not greater, than in the United States. 
Yeah, it's actually very big, and um, and actually our site in Chile uh, already has about 100 couples, even though they haven't quite started yet, who have expressed interest. So um, they actually were a very successful site in a previous contra- male contraceptive trial, so um, so there's actually quite a bit of interest there as well. When you select people to become a part of the trial, um, are there any uh, emotional or psychological things that you look for as you make the determination to accept them in the trial, or do, or is it first come, first serve? No, there's a lot of inclusion criteria. Remember, we're still developing the product, so safety is our primary concern anytime you're doing a medical trial. So uh, for this particular product, we've tested it um, in men before, of course, but um, for the, in this particular study, the men will be exposed to the product for about 18 months. Um, as you may know, and we know from female hormonal contraceptives, that mood effects when one gives hormones to people is something that we're really concerned about. Um, in, the pre, uh, in the previous studies we've done that, that we haven't seen any significant impact on mood. But because of that, we actually do have um, uh, questionnaires that we uh, administer to ensure that people who don't have a strong history of mental illness or particularly of depression are not included at this stage in development. That doesn't mean when the product gets to the market that it, that wouldn't that would be a criteria. We just need to test it appropriately to ensure that there aren't any uh, mood side effects. So they have to undergo uh, questionnaires and blood tests and all kinds of things to participate. Have you seen any uh, potential for concerning mood side effects? So with this particular product, we haven't. Uh, Some of the previous studies of slightly different hormonal contraceptives, so with different uh, components than we're using here, there have been some concerns about mood effects. Um, So so that's why we're following it incredibly closely. uh, and the other issue, the other thing that we follow really closely, also that you might that people are often interested in, is the potential for sexual side effects and changes in sexual drive, and that's also something that we that we follow really closely. Um, but but what I think I understand is that at this point, um, certainly with this product, the expectation is that while the sperm count will be down, the drive will not. The drive will not be affected. Exactly. So okay. again, in our previous studies, we we follow the individuals who are using it with sexual function questionnaires and diaries. We ask these um, validated questionnaires about libido, uh, and we didn't see a signal when people were using the gel as compared to when they were not. Uh, so certainly there are not dramatic effects. Uh, all these sorts of things require lots and lots of people before you really know for sure. Um, but we don't see any... We don't see anything that that looks concerning. You mentioned that there are other products that are potentially available at some point. When we say at some point, are, are we talking about um, a gel being on the market in uh, two months or twenty five years? <laughs> uh, well, somewhere in between. Okay, Not two months for sure, because <laughs> we'll still be doing this trial. Um, so this trial will take us about three years. The, the couples that are involved have to be recruited, um, and they themselves will participate for about 18 to 24 months. So we won't have results from this trial for about three years. And then if it goes, as we hope, very well, there would have to be a second trial um, 
uh, including this this trial is going to have about 400 couples in it, and uh, my expectation is we would need to do a study with at least double that number of couples before it could be FDA approved. So that would take another four or five years. So I think it's realistic to think this product might be on the market in within the next decade. Um, you know, these things are, are, are slow. And especially in this field where we don't have similar products on the market. So really the regulatory agencies are going to have to tell us what, what they want to see before it can be approved. When you think about the use of this particular product, do you see it as being something that one could readily pick up from the drugstore, or do you see it as being a prescription item? I I, I ask that in part because I think about adolescent boys saying, wow, this is cool, I'm going to go for this. Yeah. Uh, No, this will definitely need to be something that's prescribed because it contains hormones, uh, in particular, it contains testosterone and um, a progestin. It will absolutely require a prescription. Um, and much as I'm excited about this product, I would say that um, you know teenagers are are a tough audience in terms of something that you have to do every day. I mean, it's hard enough for us adults to take an antibiotic every day for two weeks. So. Um, uh, so, you know, there, I'm not saying that there wouldn't be some teenage boys that this might be appropriate for, but we really don't like to give hormones to people under the age of 18 in particular. So, and as you know, boys mature later. So I don't really see this as a product for certainly the adolescent market. Um, but it, in, in any case, in answer to your question, this particular product will absolutely require a prescription, at least in the, in the early days, and I don't really anticipate it that changing. So it sounds like in perhaps 10 years or so, there might be a gel, there might be pills, there might be any number of options that are available to men as well as to women. You know, that's the hope. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that has been lacking in our field is uh, big support from the pharmaceutical industry. That was available a few, maybe a decade ago, but for a variety of reasons. As I mentioned, the NIH is actually our financial sponsor for this trial. Uh, For a variety of reasons, the the big drug pharmaceutical industry has not been that interested in developing male methods at this point. So to accelerate the availability of these sorts of products, in the long run, the field is going to need either an infusion of money from the pharmaceutical industry or from other non-governmental organizations to really you know, move things forward in a in a timely fashion. So we're hopeful that the results of this trial will will help garner that support, and that those entities will see uh, how exciting this is and uh, what an impact it could make. You know, I'm really surprised to hear you say that the pharmaceutical uh, houses have not been all that interested. I would think that this would, if not for social reasons, certainly for financial reasons, be a goldmine for them. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. You know, it's hard to, when we ask the the people we do know, which is not that many in the industry, it's always a little bit tricky to understand that. I mean, I agree. Think about it. It's 50% of the population, and men are fertile from the age of 15 to 95. So so you think there's a big market. Um, I think the big stumbling block here really is that because there's not a product like this on the market, the 
the the regulatory agencies, the FDA, the European regulatory agencies haven't there's no precedent for what they're going to demand in terms of safety data. And so it feels very risky for the pharmaceutical industry, I think, without those guidelines. Um, I think the other thing, really, to be fair, is that remember that with female methods, we're actually preventing uh, the life-threatening condition, pregnancy, when we prescribe contraceptives. For men, it's a little bit different. Even though there's a social imperative for contraception for men, they don't actually get a direct health benefit from using a contraceptive, right? They're not going to be burdened by pregnancy in the way that women are. So understanding what the regulatory agencies are going to want in terms of safety data is a little bit of a black box. Mm-hmm. And I think that that makes the, the risk seem higher for those those industries. That's fascinating. Dr. Page, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will continue. But but just let me ask you one quick question before we, before we go to break. Are there people, are there industries that are actually opposed to the work you're doing? Oh, I don't know about industries. I mean, you know, the reality is in this country, contraception is still, for some reason, a controversial issue. Um, so we haven't heard, you know, there's been no direct confrontations between what we do and, and any sort of agency. But uh, I think, you know, the further we move this pro- these projects forward, the more likely we are to run into that kind of opposition. Um, and, you know, I think it's just important to remember that the goal here is to have planned pregnancy and to ensure that every pregnancy is uh, a wanted pregnancy. And so, you know, there's always going to be people that don't like what you do, but uh, we'll have to cross that bridge when we get there. Dr. Page, we are now going to go to break, and we will be back in just a moment. Dr. Page, while I can certainly uh, imagine certain uh, perhaps religious groups, if you will, uh, being um, vehemently opposed, maybe that's too strong a word, I don't know, but I can also imagine that committed couples might find themselves feeling more connected to each other, uh, more committed to the relationship as the issue of uh, fertility and family planning becomes more of a truly joint effort. I think that that's absolutely true. And, you know, again, the, the idea that the woman, you know, does the contraception for a while and then the man does and then the woman does. I mean, these are going to be conversations that couples can really have and figure out what works best for them. So I absolutely agree with you that um, allowing for anything that allows for sharing um, in a relationship generally brings people together. Do you have uh, any concerns um, as you look into the future of contraception in general? 
Well, my biggest concern is that we make some progress. Um, you know, if you, honestly, if you, you know, if you look at fertility rates globally, I mean, we can all there can be lots of controversy about where that sweet spot is, but the reality is, is there? It's you know, it's in controversy. You, you can't argue with the fact that the current fertility rates globally are heading us to a, a bit of a disaster. So. It's, you know, that's something that we don't talk about that much anymore, but that's one of the reasons that we have lots of environmental issues and so forth. I mean, they're, we're on a trajectory to simply have too many people for the planet. So my concern really is that we, you know, and that's why I do this work, is trying to get a handle on how to ensure that uh, that we have a planet that's healthy and that we have a, a number of people on the planet that can be supported. So my biggest concern is that if we don't do anything, we're on a, a bit of a disaster path. Well, when when you ha- express a concern about the number of people living on a planet and can a planet sustain the people who were there, that's really kind of a sobering thought. I don't think people think about that very often. They don't. You know, it's fascinating. We are so we're you know importantly concerned about the environment, but one of the things that, and we've made huge progress in medicine in terms of infectious diseases and improving the life expectancy of people uh, in um, in lower and middle income countries, and yet, and uh, which is all wonderful. But really, there's this underlying problem of fertility rates and and where the global population is going. So, um, again, contraception is really just a, just to ensure that the the, the the births that we do have are planned and wanted, and that's um, it's just really important. It's important for women in particular because that by limiting, by spacing and controlling their fertility, that gives them opportunity to for education and all the other things that we think about. So it's really, uh, you know, it's a public health imperative. And, you know, agreeing with you, I think about the the cost uh, to the child who is uh, as a result of an unplanned pregnancy and what happens in that child's life financially, socially, educationally, psychologically. Um, it is hugely important, it, it seems to me, I think you agree, that we really pay attention oh, yeah. to this. Absolutely. We need to pay attention to that in this country and certainly globally. Uh, it's an enormous issue. Is there a website where folks can go to just sort of become aware of of what your group is doing? So this particular trial is on a website called clinicaltrials.gov, which is where um, uh, all the NIH-sponsored trials need to be registered. Okay. Uh, And I can give you that link. Um, uh, And then we have uh, a website for male contraception just called malecontraception.com that people can look at as well, um, and I can provide that information. Well, uh, malecontraception.com? Boy, I think that's right. This is the <laughs> I need to look. I'll, I'll uh, ensure that I have it correctly for you. I'm sorry. That's, that's okay. Off guard. We, <laughs> we can certainly add that in. All right. Okay. Um, again, Dr. Page, thank you. Dr. Stephanie Page, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for explaining all of this to us today. Oh, it's been a great pleasure, and thank you for the interest in our project. Absolutely, and I wish you well for all kinds of reasons, as we've discussed. 
Thanks so much, Pamela. <laughs> All righty. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is available to you on many platforms. The place where you can start is mindtalk.org. That's M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. And folks, I want you to remember always if it's unacceptable, then that is what it is unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.